It's obvious that when these two team up, the result is magical. This week in tennis. And we brought this dynamic duo together once again. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Mason. My co-host is Craig Doyle, and we are here to make you cash with Flash on This Week in Tennis. You can find the show daily at CSN Sports Radio. You can also listen to it as part of the Win Daily Sports Podcast Network. We're moving along. You're going to see us probably in the next couple weeks on Radio Philippines because the Filipinos love to bet. They love to bet on tennis, and this is the best tennis betting show there is. Our record for the French Open was 78-32, and and had you played $100 on every one of our picks, you would be up around 4500 bucks for the season, beginning at the Australian Open, that is. We are 226 and 99 for about $10,000 profit, and that is nothing to sneeze at. We've got a lot to talk about. Please welcome my co-host, the man with the cash. Craig Doyle is in the house. What's happening, bro? Well, I think that may have been the longest introduction segment we've had in in a number of years to the show. I'm quite impressed with that, and I'm quite impressed with how things went at the French Open. I am despite too. a few a few little hiccups um, at the start of the second week when there were a, a number of uh, upsets. We did okay, and traditional. The French Open is where we have our worst time because the clay court season, it's real difficult to pick. Um, but I think we've, we've had a good run this year. Yeah, and we're only halfway there. We still have two more majors to go. We have the summer season. We're going to be doing the show as often as we can during the summer. Now, next week, we will not be here. I'm on my way to my tennis camp. i got to figure everything out. And once I do, Craig and I will do this show. Now, the Phil Nason show is on hiatus until August, but this week in tennis, we like to keep it going, and you know what, when people ask, hey, when can I see some proof for these wins, all you have to do is listen to the show, because every single one of these picks, we've given away freely on this program, every single one of those picks, and Craig, every so often we have to do this, and I know it sucks, but people write in and say, we didn't win that kind of money that you did. Why is that? Well, okay, I'm going to put it to you this way. You would have needed roughly, in order to cash the roughly $10,000 for the season, you would have needed to spend about $32,500 in wagers in order to do that. That 30% return of interest is not too shabby. Now, for Roland Garros, you would have needed to spend about let me see. I guess it would have been about ten thousand five hundred, and you'd have made about forty five hundred. That's why. So your mileage is going to vary. So what you have to do, and we're not going to split these picks up. I'm tired of people asking me, split the picks up. Give me what you think is the best. I've already given you, and Craig has already given you enough so that you can make an informed decision. You have to listen to the podcast. If you don't want to listen, well, then you're on your own. That's how I feel about all that. But that's why, Craig, that is why people don't understand it takes money to make money. And at a high volume, you have to have some cash, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the problem is a lot of people are impatient. You know, they want to see big results 
in a week, and that's not how this works. We're in it. We're playing the long game. We're going to make cash over the long term, and you can see the evidence of that over a number of years. You know, you just gave out the stats for this year. We're cashing at the minute at a quite a nice rate. It'll be steady all the way to the end of the season. There's not going to be any big risk involved on your part. You just stick with the program, and you'll get the results at the end of the day. The proof is in the numbers. The proof is in the numbers, and that's exactly right. But again, you know, we also understand that maybe you don't have 9500 bucks to put up. So what you have to do is listen to the podcast. We tell you, hey, we're not going to touch this, but this is the match. We This is how we think it's going to end. Some of these matches are very difficult to wager on because of the odds involved. But at the end of the day, all we can do is give you picks, and we freely give you these picks. We don't complain about it. We enjoy doing it. We're up very early this morning to do this. And that's how it works. And if you want more information, you can contact me at flash at cashwithflash.com and we'll see what we can do for you to help you out a little bit. But Craig, this has been a fantastic event. We don't usually do very well at this event, but we have done well. Thankfully, we hit some underdogs, so many upsets. But uh, I guess what we have to do, we missed this last week because it happened right after we published the podcast. Russian tennis player Yana Sisakova was arrested for match fixing, Craig. Now, we've talked about this on a number of occasions. First of all, she's innocent until proven guilty. She's not in jail any longer. But these things happen a lot more often than people want to care to admit, especially in the doubles. You know, in this situation, this young lady was playing with her partner and there was an unusual amount of money bet. You know, they kind of follow that. They, being the odds makers, follow these things. And, well, it didn't come out the way it should have. And unfortunately, this young lady is in a big heap of trouble, Craig. She is. And I think, like, we've we got to just reiterate that this is maybe a little bit more rare at tour level, particularly at Grand Slam events, than it is, uh, you know, maybe lower tour level events, the, the 250 on the men's side, or, or when you drop down to the Futures or the Challenger Tour, you're going to see this thing much more often. Often, it's it's not as you're not going to see it. Let's put it this way: in a, a singles match at a Grand Slam, that's going to be very, very unlikely. There's too much attention on that. But um, you know how the book is. The, the the book is open on all of these events, down to you know junior events, etc. So the ability to exploit it by um, not the players in particular, but uh, you know people offering the players more money to fix a match than they will make at five, six, seven, maybe even, you know, a year's worth of money um, to, to fix one match. It is very, very common because a lot of people can make a lot of money fixing a match or a set or even, you know, a particular number of games. So it, it's very, very common further down these sort of rankings, but you're not going to see it at the top level too often and and i'm not saying that everyone's involved in this i'm I'm not even saying that there's a high percentage of people involved in this it's just something we've seen over the years it's something that we know goes on it's something we know that a lot of players who have been involved have used to, to to try to fund themselves to keep playing tennis because when you're not at the top of the tree money in tennis is difficult to come by particularly if you can't find sponsors well, that's just it. You hit the nail on the head. You know, this starts in juniors, by the way. 
and you see that. I've spent a lot of time in Europe coaching, and, and you can see it. You see these guys who you know are probably not the uh, how do I? I don't want to call them unsavory characters, but you can tell they may not be like tennis people. They kind of call themselves agents or promoters or whatever, and they sponsor these kids with the express purpose as if they can't make it on the tour or become a, a big name where they can get their money back. You know, they could use them down the road like what you said at one of these futures or satellites. This is this is rare. For this to happen in a Grand Slam event to fix a match, that's rare. But it happens a lot more than you think down the satellite levels. The challengers maybe a little bit more less often. But these people in Europe are everywhere. And I've said this on this show, and I'll say this again. I think you need to vet the people surrounding these young people a little better than what, what's going on because there are a lot of predators out there. You know, there's bad coaches. There's bad everybody. There's more good than bad. I want to say that, too. I want that to be reiterated that there is far more good in tennis, especially junior tennis, than there is bad. But there are those bad actors who... You know, it's nice to fund a kid who can't afford to play. That's a beautiful thing. We have a lot of folks out there who are great benefactors. Kenny Rogers, for example, the musician, he funded a lot of California juniors. Those kind of people are legit, and they don't want anything more than to see a kid succeed. But then there are others who look for something down the road for a payoff, either a Grand Slam winner or a top 10 win, uh, top 10 player someone who's racking up the cash or someone they can use to fix a match and make a lot of money off of it. But kudos to the uh, ATP and WTA and the ITF for uh, joining forces in this one. We'll have to wait and see, but I think it happens a lot more than it should. It's also, I think, preventable. And I think we just need to take care of our junior players a little better, Craig. And I don't think that we do that great a job of protecting our young people from these type of characters. That's that's my take on it from being over in Europe for almost 20 years coaching. Yeah, well, I've got quite a lot of experience, as you know, photographing at these junior events, right. um, particularly these UK events. And the, the pressure that's put on these kids is um, it's astronomical. You know, you've got kids at 12 years old who have racket deals. They have tennis shoe deals. You know, all of these things cost a lot of money. Uh, you know, a kid to put six rackets in their bag, that's thousands of dollars. Um, you know, the, the shoes, the clothing they got to go through, it all costs quite a lot of money. And, and these kids' parents can't always afford the, uh, the, the price to keep up with um, paying for these things. So there's a lot of reliance for these kids to, to have sponsorship deals. But when you're not winning every week... Um, the sponsors quickly lose interest. And, you know, and it, it's crazy to say that a sponsor loses interest in a 12 or 13-year-old kid. But, um, you know, the, these um, manufacturing sponsors, um, you know, the big racket name sponsors, the big clothing companies, they're only really interested in, in getting in there first to get their hands on the kids so they're going to make it at the top end. You know, they, they're going to sponsor them and hope that they make it. And if someone looks like they're not making it and, and that comes from not getting the results then you're in a situation where you, you you don't get the money from the sponsors and the kid then can't afford to travel to the tournaments or can't afford the gear to keep up and play. So then the parents then get approached by one of these people acting as an agent or um, whatever they want to call them. 
um, who's able to offer financial support for X, Y, and Z in return, that's a pretty good deal to a parent. You know, if, if your kid's dreams to play tennis and you believe that they can continue to do that, but you don't have the finance to be able to do it, then sure, you're going to look at whatever options come your way to, to try and make that happen. And unfortunately, how that happens in tennis is that people come in from the outside world. Um, they come from various different backgrounds. They could be involved in who knows what when it comes to betting rings or um, any sort of illicit gambling or, or, or other activities. You, you don't know who these people are, but they're able to infiltrate the tennis world as an agent or whatnot, offer up the money to these parents and uh, allow their kid to keep playing. And, you know, you always have to pay these people back at some point. Um, and unfortunately for uh, a lot of these kids, they get roped into a situation where they are being asked to manipulate the outcomes of matches in, in order to generate money through betting. And it's, uh, it's, it's unsavory and, what we've seen at the French Open is, is some kid who's probably got herself into that sort of situation where she's due to pay someone money back and she's had to uh, go out there and attempt to influence the outcome of the match to to allow people to make money on it. Um, and, and, and it's unfortunate for her and it's unfortunate that, that we're able to sit here and see those supports coming out. But uh, the fact that the money's not there in, in tennis for the juniors and, and it's not there for the people trying to make a living from tennis who are, are not at the right top end of the tour, these are the lengths that some people are going to go to to stay there. Well, that's just it. I liken a lot of these guys, Craig, to uh, loan sharks. You know, That money is readily available, but you got to pay the VIG. you got to pay the interest, and the interest will take years to pay off before you even hit the principal. It's a difficult life out there for these young people, but that's the nature of the beast, Craig. And the reality is, is not everyone is, the tennis pro tour isn't really for everyone, okay? It just isn't. You know, there's a lot of little things that go into making a top tennis player, you know, little things that we don't even consider, but money is one of the biggest ones. And when that money runs out, it's difficult. I mean, you're talking about for a top junior between the ages of 12 maybe and 17, and you're looking at $75,000 a year or more in coaching fees, traveling fees. If they don't have racket deals, they got to buy rackets. Strings are expensive. A lot of these top kids, top juniors, at least they get shoes and stuff that helps or a reduced price, or they have to get money from their local associations. We've talked about this on this show also. It's not an easy road to hoe for these young people. But if you don't have the cash, you know, and you still think you have a dream, well, you're going to have to go out and get it somewhere. And I would be really careful about who I was taking money from because these folks don't seem to play. And I've been around those kind of people in my life too, being out in Vegas for as long as I was. The most important thing is to vet these people. You know, everybody, or I should say not everybody who wants to help you is really in it for you. Not everyone who wants to be friends with you are really in it for you. So what you have to do is figure out what's the story. What is this person going to gain? What do I gain? But what is this person's motive for helping me? Now, a lot of it, they just want to get paid back. Some people, like the person I mentioned before, Kenny Rogers, he was just interested in seeing kids succeed. And, and those are the kind of benefactors that are amazing and that can help a young person. 
But then you got the other guys, the guys who are chasing the money and only thinking about what they're going to gain in return for their investment in you. And those are people you have to really pay attention to. I know it's easy to fall into that trap. I know the hard work that these young people put in daily. And I know how difficult it is for them, but you have to vet these people a little better. And I think that the ITF and I think that the local tennis associations need to also step in and help that out a little more than they have. I know they try real hard. I know it's not easy to vet every single person who walks through the gates of the junior tennis tournament. Damn, it's almost impossible. Craig, you know this. You've been covering it for years. But the end of the day is we have to protect our young people so that they don't get in a situation like what we think happened with Mrs. Sokova and not only ruin her career but ruin her life in the process because nobody ever wants to go down as a match fixer, a cheater. No one ever wants to do that. And I hope it all comes out well for her. I'm kind of thinking from what I heard, Craig, that it might not. But again, you know, we need to protect our young people much better than we have. And I hope that these governing bodies get it together and do just that. Now, we've got some French Open interesting stuff. Now, yesterday, Craig, I was watching Maria Sacri, young lady from Greece, and she was taking on uh, Barbara Kretschikova. It was a great match. I love watching it. Well, most of it, because Maria makes me nervous like she did many years ago. Same kind of way. Um, but one thing I was curious about, Craig, why are they using Hawkeye on dirt? I don't understand the point of using Hawkeye on dirt. Can you help me out there? Because I'm still curious and no one seems to be able to answer me. So I'm hoping you can. Well, as far as I'm concerned, they weren't using Hawkeye on dirt. They had it, but it wasn't being used. Um at some point towards the end of the match, there was a little bit of drama because Sakari hit the ball out on match point on the baseline. Um, the umpire came down, had a look at the mark on the dirt, and he said the ball looked like it was still in. So they replayed the point, at which Sakari went on to win and win that game. However, the match probably should have been over because Hawkeye, was, which was there, but it was not active. The umpire was not able to use it had actually said that the ball was bad and it had gone long. So the, the question there is, why have Hawkeye at all if you're not going to use it? Why have it installed and then have the people in the TV studio, the commentators and um, the people showing the pictures, showing pictures from Hawkeye when it's not being used to officiate the lines in the match? It's not available to the umpire. It's not available to anybody else apart from the TV audience. All it does is it puts additional pressure on the umpire to get decisions right. And the umpire can't win here because the umpire could only ever be wrong. The umpire could only ever be telling us something different to what Hawkeye is, uh, which creates unnecessary controversy. It, it would have made a lot more sense to me just to not have Hawkeye installed on the court um, and just go with the umpire's decision. And, and let's, uh, you know, umpire's decision is final. They could see the mark on the dirt. It would have been fine. Why, why create controversy when it's not required? I don't know. And I agree with that. I don't think you need to use it at all. If, you, if it's installed, then you have to use it, I think. If you're not, if, but but again, you know, why why is that arbitrary? Why Why is that? left to the uh, chair's decision or the tournament's decision, and, and they've used it in other matches, this tournament, I, I've heard, and I just don't get the whole point. You know, it's dirt. 
There's ball marks. These kids know what they're doing. Okay, maybe they rubbed out a couple ball marks yesterday in that match. But the chair can find and follow the ball. I, I was pulling for Sakri, obviously. But at the end of the day, you know, the ball was out. And that girl lifted her arms up. I thought it was over. You know what? I posted my, okay, nice try, kiddo. Good luck next week. And, and they, they overruled it. And I was thinking, wait a second. You know, this didn't seem right. And then the other thing is that Maria was taking a lot of heat on social media for uh, griping about some calls. Well, when you put these kids in that position where it's just an umpire in the chair, of course they're going to. Again, these kids are savvy. They know how to rub ball marks out. They're clever. They know how to point to the wrong mark. I mean, just watch when they use Hawkeye, how many challenges players get wrong, Craig. How many? Look, Maria made a couple challenges. The ball was like 10 feet out. And I was like, wait a second. I mean, that was pretty obvious. But I think this whole thing needs to go back to square one. I think we need to get these line judges back out there. Even though I didn't care for them in my day, I still think that that's important. I think we need to let the humans be more in charge of the game than machines because humans are playing these games. And I think the outcomes should be determined by humans and not some machine. Um and used at random times and arbitrary times. And, and I just don't get that, Craig. I, I never get what goes on at Roland Garros. I just never get what goes on there. And I guess Daniel Medvedev, he didn't get it either because he's griping. He wanted He's griping because they moved his match with Stefano Tsitsipas to the evening, and it was on Amazon. He wanted to probably play in the daytime. I don't blame him. But... Is it turned into this? Is, I guess I should say it's always been about the marquee matches playing on TV at every Grand Slam. If they have lights, that's the way it is. Look at the U.S. Open, how they change the schedule of play often to suit the big name players or the hottest player. Medvedev, I mean, does he have a gripe though? Is he saying that the tournament directors bowed out to Amazon? Because if he's saying that, that's not a new revelation. That's been going on for years and years. Where's he been? Um, I think his gripe here is slightly different. Like, I don't think the problem was playing in the night session in general. I think the problem was that in Paris, they don't have spectators during the night session, but they do have spectators during the day session. So what he was saying was that there was no atmosphere in the night session. It was basically him and Sipsipas and a couple of their coaches or whatever um, that were able to see the game. The, the, crowd from the day session doesn't get into the evening session so there was like no atmosphere but um the deal that the french tennis federation have with amazon in france is that they have to show the most important match of the day or or what uh, um amazon deems to be the most important match of the day in this evening session where there's no spectators so on a regular non-covid um, Roland Garros, I would assume that the evening session will be a coveted slot because you'll have the full crowd in. Um, one match on the card in the evening um, on the Philip Chatchery court, and that'll be it. Um, and I think it'll it, it'll work better. But at the minute, because there's no spectators in, I think Medvedev was kind of pointing to it and saying, well, this is maybe the big match of the day, why is it not going on last in the afternoon where these 
paying public, you know, the, the French Tennis Federation members and, and, and whoever else have tickets to this event can actually enjoy the, the action live, provide a little bit of atmosphere and, and, you know, give the match what it deserves in terms of a crowd. Um, so I think that was more his frustration than the fact that it was just moved to the evening session. I don't think he was too worried about the time. It was the fact that there was no live crowd in in the evening session, but the day sessions do have a live crowd. Thanks for clearing that up because I wasn't sure what his deal was. Maybe I didn't read that as closely as I should have. But at the end of the day, this is part of the game, you know, and this is part of our life in tennis post-COVID, or I guess we should say still pandemic COVID. Who knows? Everywhere you look, things are cropping up again. It just doesn't seem to go away. But this is the life in the tennis tournaments now. You have fans in the daytime, but not fans at night because apparently COVID doesn't come out at night. See, or I'm sorry, COVID comes out after dark, so you can't be in the stands. I don't understand any of it really. It is what it is, though, Craig. It is. And I hope he doesn't hold too many uh, bitter memories of that match because he got worked pretty good by Tsitsipas, whether there was a crowd or not. And I get his points about atmosphere. But again, you know what? That was the biggest match of the night. That's how the game's played. And it is what it is, Craig. It is what it is. Like Coco Goff. Coco Goff had a fantastic Roland Garros. She got to the second week. Good for her. And then she got criticized for busting some rackets when she was down five love. What is with these people? You know, she's a young kid. She thought she was going to go further. She didn't play well and she let a couple of rackets go bust. What's the deal with that, Craig? Why does that matter to people? I don't understand why that sort of thing matters to people. Oh, it's the same old problem that we live in this um, world now where everything gets scrutinized on social media. I mean, you and I have both experienced it over the last 10, 15 years where we've been attacked various times by people on social media who want to tell you how to live your life. They want to tell you what to do. They want to tell you how to behave. They want to tell you what kind of person you've got to be. Um, you know, all these people just want to dictate to you all the time. You've got to believe what they tell you to believe. You've got to act out on it in the way that they tell you to act out on it. You're not allowed to have your own opinion now as it doesn't agree with theirs. And the problem within tennis is that everyone thinks you've got to be, you know, Rafael Nadal as, as a model. You know, you've got to not break your racket. You, you've got to show... Um, no sort of negative emotions, you know, that's great for Rafael Nadal. He's, you know, one in a million in the way that he acts around the court. Um, maybe you see similar from Roger Federer, but most people are human. Most people, particularly young people, they get frustrated when they're not winning, they're not succeeding, particularly when they've been playing well previously. And if they happen to throw their racket or smash their racket or, um, have a verbal outburst or an argument with the umpire to, to boo those people or to shun them or to, to come out against them on social media. For me, it's, it's, it's just a symptom of this world we live in where everything's scrutinized. Now I think like, I'm not a fan of social media. I think you, you probably picked up on that a long time ago. You know, I use it um, to promote some of my own work, but I, I'm not on there 
give my opinion, etc. And any opinion I do give on there is an opinion that I would most welcomely give anywhere, whether it be in, you know in a bar or on the street or with friends or, or whatever. Um, but a lot of people go on there solely with the intent to uh, stir up trouble, and and that's unfortunately the world we live in. It's the one that Coco Gauff's going to grow up into. Um, and she's going to have to deal with the criticism that comes her way every single time she sneezes and someone doesn't like it. Well, we've been critical of her too, but we're more about the game and the overhype than anything else. But, you know, people are saying that this is a breakthrough for her. This isn't a breakthrough event. And I guess my question is, how many breakthroughs does she need? She had a great tournament. Good for her. Let's see what she does next. You know, she's only 17, but... Yeah, give a kid a break on the racket thing, you know, whatever. Look, not everyone, like you said, not everyone can be Rafael Nadal and be cool. Federer, Federer snapped a few rackets in his time, I'm sure of that. There's a lot of guys out there that like to bust frames. Sometimes it just relaxes them or it calms them down or it wakes them up. Obviously, none of those things happen for Coco because she lost that match and she lost it badly. It's almost like she reverted back to who she was prior to all these great or all this great progress she seems to have made. And that's a good thing. You know what we have to do? We have to just kind of wait her out and see what happens. She's only 17. It was a great event. But to hoot on her for busting a racket and saying that that was wrong, you know what? Maybe you never played before because I know for a fact. Now, Craig, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but I, I think if I were in that situation, I might have let a couple frames crack too. Maybe the whole bag. Well, we've seen that before with uh, a variety <laughs> of players who just go into the bag and they, you know, maybe bust up an extra racket or two before they uh, they go back out there. But um, you know, she she had the right to be frustrated. She played very well in the first set, actually, and she lost out on the tiebreak. She probably should have won the first set, and I think that's where the frustration came from. Is that she'd done so well, she ended up losing the first set, and then after that, she sort of. Uh, just went backwards and at a really alarming rate. And I think she was really disappointed in herself for letting the match slip away when she should have really been going into that second set in the lead. Uh, and uh, to find yourself 5-0 down, yeah, you probably would bust a racket or two or, you know, get into an argument with a line judge or an umpire or, or, or something when things are, are going that drastically bad the first time you get to that stage of a grand slam. So, yeah, I've had no complaints with it. None. I have none. You know what? It's better than all that bad body language that she was using for years. Let's hope for the best for her. What do you think now? You know what the men are playing right now, so let's not even worry about what the guys do. You know, Novak Djokovic is taking on Rafael Nadal, and then we've got Sasha Zverev against Stefano Tsitsipas. No predictions here. I don't know. I think Rafael Nadal is going to win this event. I, I think it's just another one of those uh, surefire things. You know, it's hard to bet against Rafael, and I'm not going to. But I'll tell you this, on Saturday, we've got a match you can bet. We have a final, Craig, that you can bet. A final that we can cash with Flash. Barbara Kreshtikova is a minus 125 favorite. Anastasia Pavlyochenkova is a plus 105 underdog, Craig. That's a pretty close odds. Either way, you can make cash with Flash, but you'll make more if you get it right. What do you like here, Craig? What do you like about this match, and who do you like? I don't like anything about this match. These are two players that I would not have imagined in a million years getting <laughs> right? to this final, and I don't think anybody else did either. I know we didn't. Um, <laughs> I think Pavlo Chankova has had a, 
about 30 something grand slams now before getting to a final 52 so, you know, Craig. it's 52 i looked it up this morning it's 52, 52. Mm-hmm. wow it's, it's even more than i thought so yeah that's um wow you know it's it, it's pretty impressive that she's she's now got the um i i honestly i liked the check go yesterday against sakari i i think like she looked really, really solid when it mattered at the end. She she didn't ever look like she was going to break down when they were sort of at that sudden death stage at 6-0. She always looked really solid. She was hitting a good ball. Um, I, I really do like her, and I think she's probably going to win this. But, um, you know, you could probably flip a coin on this. Both of these girls are unexpected to be there. It's going to be who deals with the pressure of the big situation more than anything else. Um, I'm going to go with a favourite, and she's a marginal favourite, but, uh, you know, anyone betting on it, flip a coin, because there's really nothing to pick between these two girls. You know, that's true. Uh, You know what? I I didn't care for that match with with soccer yesterday, because obviously, where was I going for? I was hoping for Maria. That's no secret, okay? But at the end of the day, you know, this Kreshikova, I really like her. I like the fact that Yana Novotna was a part of her career. Did you see that play in the third set where uh, Kreshikova came to the net and actually serve and, well, she served and volleyed and hit a, a volley winner like she actually planned it? That doesn't happen too often. And I smiled because that was Yana Novotna-esque. You know, she had the racket up there by her nose and just kind of guided it in. And I really liked that. That was great. I didn't like the fact that she won the point against Maria, but I loved the style and the technique, and I was thinking to myself right away, this could be something on the grass, Craig. This could be something on the hard courts. But it worked on the dirt. Now, this Pavlyuchenkova, she's a, a short dog, really, a small dog, plus 105. But the thing about her, Craig, is she hasn't blinked in this entire fortnight. Whereas I think Kreshchakova will blink at times. You know, this is a 52 majors, Craig, without making to a final. I'm sure there are others who are knocking on that door, but that's a lot of longevity. That's also a lot of experience, Craig. And, and you know, when you get to that point and she's mature, she's not some 17-year-old kid who's still trying to figure it out. This gal, what is she, 29, 30? She's been around a bit. And I think that that experience is going to help her. I think the fans are going to be on her side also. So I think, and and everything that you said was right about flipping coins, because that's what it looks like to me. But my style of betting and handicapping is this. If I got to flip a coin, I'm going for the underdog where I can make some money. Okay, I'm going for the dog. And, and, And this one... I'm going for the dog, Craig. I'm going to take Pavlyuchenkova to win this match. I can see this going three sets. I can see an over 21 type of scenario if your sports book allows that. But I just like what this young lady has put together over these two weeks. And frankly speaking, over her career. I mean, she's got a lot of ups and downs, peaks and valleys in that career. And I think that this is the occasion where she puts it all together and, you know, lifts up that cup at the end of that match, Craig. So I guess, well, I don't guess. I'm going to take Pavlyuchenkova and just whatever. 
You know, I just, yeah. Well, I'm going for something a little bit more um, elaborate in that I'm going to have a look at my book and see what I can get on a double here because I know that Krajikova is also into the women's doubles final with her partner, Siniakova, another Czech girl. They are the number two seeds. They will be favorites. I think they're potentially likely to play uh, Bethany Maddox-Sands and Eva Sviatek. Um, who we did have down as a favorite to win the singles. But um, I think these two girls play really, really well together. And I'm going to see if I can pick up Krajikova to win both and see if they'll uh, extend that price a little bit for me. Um, Because I think she can go away with both titles here. And I think part of what you just said about her coming towards the net, I think that comes from a little bit of her doubles play where... You know, she's going to be a lot more confident at the net than a lot of other girls who, who only play singles. So uh, look out for that in the final as well. Look out for, you know, hitting the approach shot, coming into the net, serving volley. There's going to be a little bit of that variety. And I just think that extra variety, which you uh, you don't see a lot. And another thing that I did pick up in the in the game where she played against um, uh, Zachary is that she slices often. And it's not something that you see too often on the women's tour, particularly the last five, 10 years, most of the girls want to play topspin or they want to hit flat and they're looking to just power through their opponent repeatedly. Somebody who has the savvy to stand there and spin the ball with a nice slice back the way to give herself a little bit of time. I thought that was pretty clever. And she also adopted the old Rafael Nadal topic uh, um, tactic, sorry, of playing the moon ball a couple of times at Zachary. And I think that caused Zachary a few issues when you get that ball coming over and it lands a foot away from the baseline, but it jumps up a mile in the air. Again, I think it's pretty clever. It shows that she's got a little bit of thought to what she's doing. She's uh, confident that, you know, she can just spoon that ball back in there and that she'll make the next forehand. I like her. And I think, yeah, I'm going to have a go in the double. I'm going to see what price I get for her to win both the the singles and the doubles. And um, I'm going to back her in both. You know what? You make a great case. You know, I can't. It's hard to go against you. I'm just going with my gut here and, and, and my style of handicapping and sports handic- or sports wagering. And I'm just going to take the short fa- short dog and just see what we can see. But I like your advice on the double. I think she's going to win the doubles. I like what, everything that you said. The moon ball, too. That was a nice play. That that disrupted things. But, again, she was doing that, what, in the third set. I don't think this is – well, this could go three. But at the end of the day, I think Pavlyuchenkova may have a little bit of more experience than Maria and might not try to power through some of those moon balls like Maria did. But the other thing that I wanted to mention to you and ask you about – now, I've been watching the Tennis Channel commentary, and I'm getting kind of sick of it all. I can't even, you know, I, I can't even watch them or listen to them anymore. I, I don't get why they uh, don't do their homework. It's like they don't even know who's playing some of these people. And it's very annoying, Craig. Do you have the Tennis Channel overseas, and what do you do about that? Do you just mute them? Uh, we don't. Um, we are watching on uh, Eurosport for this one. Like watching tennis here is not quite as simple as just turning on the tennis channel. Our options are to buy about five or six different packages, including Amazon UK, um, BT Sport, um, BBC, Eurosport. There's a variety of different carriers showing different events. So 
for us, um, the the commentary teams can vary a bit, but we're not getting the same commentary that you're getting on the tennis channel. So you're you're going to have to explain this one a little bit for us overseas viewers. Well, the whole thing is, is they just don't seem like they're uh, involved in the match or as involved as they could be. They don't seem prepared. They make silly statements. They talk about players that they don't like. They know them, but really don't. And it's weird. I, I just don't get it. Maybe I'm just spoiled with McEnroe and uh, Mary Carrillo, but I'm just not feeling the tennis channel coverage. I just don't feel it. They, the other thing is is the, the randomness of the matches. I mean, sometimes they turn matches off that are really entertaining to turn on matches that probably won't be, like a Nadal blowout or something similar to that. So that was my that's my gripe with them. Now, we've got grass court season coming up, like next week coming up. We have a very short season of grass, and and this is a fun part for us because this is usually where we come out of Roland Garros maybe smarting a bit and ready to get some cash. And in this instance, we ain't coming out of here smarting. We've actually come out of this way ahead. But when I look at these grass courts, and we don't have any of the draws in front of us, but the ladies have two events, one in Birmingham, England, the other in Germany. And then we also have the men playing. The, well, it's called the Cinch Championships, but it's at Queens Club, so Queens is fair. And the Halley Tournament in Germany. So we have players lists. And one of the things that I you want to look for, especially from the men, we're going to start with the women today, but the men, is you want to find guys who go up to the net and actually intend on volleying, intend on going up there with the purpose of hitting a winner with a volley. That's helpful in this in this event. And I guess what we'll do is let's look at the women first. So why did I do it like that? I don't know. But we have some interesting players here in Birmingham. Elise Mertens. She's there. Joanna Kanta. Ans Jabur. Annette Kantave. Yulia Putinetseva. Donna Vecic. You like any of these girls so far? Yeah. Um you know, the, the likes of Conta should come back to life on this surface. It's much more suited to her game. She She's going to hit flat um, from the baseline primarily. She might not come to the net, but she'll have a moderate amount of success from that. Um, there's definitely uh, plenty to look for. As, as always, when you switch surface so quickly from clay to grass every year, don't be too eager to come in on the first week and start betting on everyone. You know, play play it safe. Maybe give the first round a bit of a miss. Have a look at who's uh, having success and who's not. Because um, some of these players are going to take a week or so to adapt. Others, um, you might just get a surprise. They might come flying out of the blocks, but you're not going to see the, the set of results necessarily that you want to. So play a little cautious first round. Maybe jump in second round and and, and start, um, st- you know, steady betting from there. That's great advice. You know, I like Elise Mertens on grass. I, I agree with you on Kanta. That should be somewhere that she's very familiar with. You know, I like Jabur because of her serve. Um, Putinetseva, she knows how to play on this surface. And she's doing okay. But those are the ones I like. Now we've got others. So Donna Vecic, for example, from Croatia. Dario Kasakina, she's there. Svetlana Kunetseva, who's there still. Big serving Yelena Ostapenko, she's there. And, and Shu Zhang and Paula Badosa, any of these girls you like 
to make a dent. I know I like Ostapenko always on these hard, on these faster surfaces, and Bedosa looked really good from her time in in Roland Garros. But is that going to translate instantly in a week? I'm not so sure. Yeah, maybe not so sure, but I do like Pedroza. Um, I think she'll do okay to start off with. Um, I'm looking for anyone who's going to approach the net, so um, I'll be looking for girls who probably play a bit of doubles as well. Um, those are the girls who are probably going to be a lot more comfortable coming forward. They're not going to try and sling from the baseline. Um, so, so do have a, a little look at the Roland Garros doubles tournament. Pick out any names that you see that are also playing um, this week um, on the grass in singles. And you'll probably find that those players will have a, a lot more success early on than um, Vietnam players who, who, who maybe are more clay court orientated and, and not so suited to the grass. I like that. I like Kuznetsova uh, early in our tournament, especially on grass. She knows how to play. Um, we've got... Anastasia Sevastova, she's here. Magda Lynette, who had a great role on Garros. Quinn Wang, or Zhang, whatever. Fiona Ferrero. Maria Buskova. Now, they're, they're right, I'm going to stop right there. Pay attention to this young lady. She's got a cannon of a serve. She's made us money. Especially, do you remember two seasons ago before all this COVID messed up our, our financial picture in tennis? Do you remember when she went over? I think it was Asia. And she started firing rockets. And they couldn't deal with those rockets. And I like Buskova on a faster surface, Craig. What do you like? Do you like any of these girls? Like Saza Zhang, she's there. Jill Teichman is there. Caroline Garcia from France. Elena Visnina from Russia. Any of these girls in Birmingham that you would probably say, hey, if they're an underdog, make a play. Um, not likely to get much underdog on Vesnina. I actually quite like the American players on grass. I think they'll all do pretty well. Um, not just in the women's, but in the men's. But we're talking about the women's at the minute. But if you, if you see any of the American girls over here, they're going to be a lot more at home on the grass than they are on the clay courts. So check out some of those Americans in the first round. If they're in there as a dog, then you probably want to go have a look at that. Um, if it's in Birmingham, then, yeah, have a look at some of the British girls as well. They'll, they'll probably be okay for the first round or so. They're not going to win the events. Um, don't touch Heather Watson. But uh, other than that, the rest of the girls, are, um, particularly the younger ones, are all likely to win in the first round because they hit aggressively, whereas Watson's more of a defender. She's probably going to struggle a bit um, on the grass, particularly if she's playing against someone who hits flat. But the, I, I think the likes of Harriet Dart, um, Katie Boulter, they, they might be in there as a dog, so probably worth a look if if the the price is not too skewed. Um, you know, the, the the price might suggest that they might take a, a bit of a beating if they're playing someone at the, the right top end of the tour. But if they're playing someone outside the top twenty, then I'll I'll be probably looking at that as value for me. And that's the way you should look at it. By the way, you're looking for girls who know how to finish points. Especially at the net, there are some out there. Like Craig said, look at those doubles rosters and look at these players. Um, again, yeah, you're right. I, I, there's not an American currently on this players list in Birmingham, but I'm sure someone will surface maybe through the other. But we also have the bet one open. And this is interesting. Ash Barty's there. Naomi Osaka has already withdrawn. Ariana Sabalenka. Now there's things I could say about Osaka and her media silence. That's not silence anymore. 
But I, I guess it just depends on who she wants. She talks to whoever she wants to as long as they're paying her and she's in control. So I guess that whole thing is probably a little bit more blown up than not. Ariana Sabalink is there in this one. Look, Sophia Kennan is there. Elena Svitolina is there. Bianca Andreescu is there minus her coach. She doesn't have a coach anymore. She parted ways with him at Roland Garros. And then we've got Iga Svitek, Carolina Pliskova, who's got a big serve. Belinda Bencic, big serve, Craig. We like these girls. Now, this, this one here, this bet one tournament, this field looks really good. It does. Um, I quite like Pliskova, actually, and I, oh, I think yeah. she's due, due to make me some money because every time I back her at a slam, I'm I'm not making coin on her. Um, so so she's definitely good. And, she, you know, the, the poor performance at the slam, she's going to be sliding down the rankings soon. So hopefully the uh, the book starts offering us um, a little bit more incentive to play her. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be checking her out over the next week. Let's see what... Um, the book's going to offer us. I'll tell you another one that you're probably going to see as a favorite who shouldn't be is Garbine Muguruza. She's still injured. Be careful with that one. You know, you can make some money. If she's an overwhelming favorite, I might take a shot. But you got Petra Kitova, who's has who actually got injured, leaving the podium of a post-match presser. Jennifer Brady's in this event. Now, she didn't have the greatest French Open, but this might be a little better for her because of her serve. Maria Sakkari is there. Victoria Azarenka is there. Carolina Musheva is there. Um, let me see who Musheva is all right, I think, on grass. Marketa Vondrosova is there. Elena Ribikina, Petra Marcic. This is a much better field. Then you have Madison Keys, Angeliki Kerber, Alice Risky. Now, I'll tell you what, after the way she crashed, in uh, at Roland Garros, I would bet you you might get Kerber for some decent money, and I'll bet you she's going to want to go out and win at home in this event, don't you think? Yeah, and uh, obviously she's got a good experience down the years on the grass court, so I think you know you have to be careful who she's drawn against because she is coming towards the twilight of her career. Um, her best days have gone, unfortunately, but. Um, there will be value with her playing at home. Definitely have a look and, and see who she's playing and, and what sort of price you're going to get because she should um, she should have it on grass and she's had a great career. You know, we we picked her out quite early as as someone um, we thought would win a Grand Slam. Well, that was you. Seasons, Don't be but... so humble. That was you. I didn't think much. <laughs> that was you. It took five years after you said it, but she did it. That's all that matters, Craig. Yeah, and she didn't just win one. She's won multiple. So, um, there you go. You really can pat yourself on the back well for this one. Good job. You know, I, I, we've had we've had good value out of her. Um, yes. And she, she'll still have a couple of years left where she's able to get through the first few rounds of events. Uh, I don't see her winning anything, but um, certainly in the first round here, it's going to be worth a look for me. Madison Keys is another one you want to look at. Just like Craig described earlier, these American girls, big serves. I like this one. Marketa Vondorusova, I, I like that serve. I think that she plays well here. Victoria Azarenka knows how to play. I, I would be careful with Maria Sakkari in this event. You know, she had a tough loss. She's coming off that thing. And she had a long run in Roland Garros, so maybe she's not right for this early. It just depends, though. Let's see, who else do I like in this draw? Again, I like Jennifer Brady. This is the time. If Jennifer Brady is going to back up what she did in Australia, I think that begins now. 
um, with the grass and then further on down the road in the uh, hard courts of the American North American hard court summer. I like the, what she's done there in the past. Benchik's a big server. Pliskova, that's just too much for me. I can handle that. I would be really careful with Petra Kitova. Okay, she's won Wimbledon a couple times, and she knows how to play on the grass, but she dinged her ankle pretty good. It made her miss her match at Roland Garros. She had to withdraw from the event. So be careful with her if she hasn't withdrawn here. Any Anything else before? Wait, you know what? I want to bring this up. Bianca Andreescu. Now, she's parted ways with her coach. I don't know the particulars, nor do I care. But if there's a surface that is right up this young lefty's alley, it will be for Bianca Andreescu to make some cash. And I think she's got a very good opportunity in this event because after her crash at Roland Garros, she's probably not going to be an overwhelming favorite, if at all. I just wonder if there's other issues going on with her. I know that after she won the U.S. Open, there was the the injury saga that seemed to last forever, and she you know she has come back earlier this season in Miami. I think it was she played some pretty nice stuff, um, had a deep run there, but I, I mean, no clay is probably not suited to her. You know, hard courts and grass are definitely going to be more her thing than than playing on clay and. Now we've got this coach department. Um, I I just worry that, that there's more going on in the background there with the coach department. All of a sudden, um, uh, you know, has the coach suddenly seen something that everyone else hasn't? Is there a, a problem with their attitude? Is there a problem with their fitness uh, that the coach is looking to go elsewhere? I don't know. Um, I'm certainly going to have a look at her, but I'm probably going to wait until round two. I want to see what she does in the first round because I want to make sure there's not any other circumstances here and that she's going to be in the right frame of mind to play tennis. You know, that's that's exactly what you want to do and you want to pay attention. I would be very careful with her early and just see what happens. Now, the men. Queen's Club is usually an indicator of what's going to happen at Wimbledon. Um, or it used to in my day. I don't know so much now. It's a different kind of system. Most of the guys play the same way. Again, you're looking for people who know how to finish at the net, how to actually intentionally hit volley winners and instead of just going up there. Everyone can volley, but some of these guys go up there and intend on hitting winners with their volleys. Now, listen to some of these names over at Queens. You got Matteo Berrettini coming off a great role on Garros. Dennis Shapovalov coming off not much. Yannick Sinner, I love this kid. Alex Diamanur, another Australian. He knows how to play on grass. Aslan Karatsev, another kid. He had a great, great hardcore season, not so much on the dirt. Dan Evans is a wild card. Lorenzo Sinego, you like any of these guys, Craig? Yeah, I actually like Shapovalov. I think he'll have quite a good grass court season. I'm expecting him to get to the second week minimum at Wimbledon. I think, you know, the dirt's not really for him. Canadian kid. He's going to be more suited again to faster courts. Um, he plays a big ball. Um, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high on him. And I'm pretty confident that at, maybe not at Queen's Club, but I do see him doing well at Wimbledon. Um, I think, yeah, depending on who he draws at Queen's Club, um, he, he should maybe win a couple of matches. And uh, if he does, then I'm going to be right in on top of him in a couple of weeks' time when we do this show for Wimbledon. 
I would agree with that. Riley Opelka's in this event. He's always dangerous on the grass. Adrian Manorino, the French kid, I, I like him a little bit. John Millman, Australian, another guy right there. John Millman, Craig, is someone who knows how to play on this kind of surface. And I think he could be dangerous, but more importantly, I think he could also be an early dog. Um, who else? Oh, Feliciano Lopez is the defending champion. Andy Murray has a wild card. Liam Brody. Marin Silic is another one who's very dangerous. You got anybody else on this list, Craig, that you like maybe, that people should keep an eye um, on? Lopez is always dangerous. I mean, he's getting on a bit. I think he's in his late 30s now, but um, he's going to throw down the hammer with the serve, and he's going to come into volley, and a lot of these players are not going to know what's hit them because a lot of these players are not used to playing you know, all year round where guys are going to come in and serve volley, not with the sort of serve that Lopez and has got, and he, he's a pretty good volleyer as well. Um, not going to touch Andy Murray because I have no idea where he is on fitness. Um, I do think grass will be suited to him, though, um, regardless, because I think, again, he'll just come in and serve and volley, try and shorten points. Um but uh, Lopez, for me, should be a pretty good one. And you mentioned Riley Opelka. I, I could see him winning quite a few matches on grass with his serve. I could, too. There's one other player. Now, he's in a qualifying entry, and, and I would say Sam Query is another one who might be able to uh, do some damage as an underdog. Now, we have Holly Germany, and we have Daniel Medvedev. He's the number one seed. There's Alexander Zverev. He's in this one. Roger Federer. Andre Rublev, Batista Agut, Karina, Pablo Karina Busta, David Goffin, and Casper Ruud. You like any of these guys on besides Federer on the on the grass? I actually don't. I I don't know what Medvedev is going to be capable of on the grass. I don't know if the the bounce is going to favor him. Um, the other guys, you know, Casper Ruud, um, a couple of the Spanish guys you threw out. For me, they're all clay corridors. They're more suited to, to playing on the dirt. So I, I, I'm i going to watch this event more than I'm going to bet on it because I want to see what these guys are going to bring to Wimbledon in a couple of weeks. But uh, I, I think the Queen's Club lineup's definitely got more grass court specialists, more players suited to the grass court style of play than the event in Germany. Obviously, Roger Federer is there, and I think a lot of the focus on that event from the media perspective is going to be on how he, he's playing after he withdrew from Roland Garros. But um, I don't really look at it. You know, David Goffin, he's in really poor form. Um, another one that I think is probably better on the dirt. So I don't see my Wimbledon winner coming from that event, and I, or certainly not my my sort of guys who are going to make the second week. I think most of the guys that are going to make the second week are probably going to come from the event at Queens. That makes sense. Now I'm going to give you three names for this Holly to watch that we haven't talked about yet. Felix Auger, Ali Asami, I think he's got the game to win on this kind of surface. Karen Kochnoff, he did a nice job, the hard courts. And look, at, and here's my guy. This is, this is my guy who's going to, I think, do some damage. And that's Jan Leonard Struff from Germany. I think that he's probably... One of those guys who can do some damage. Sebi Korda's in this one. Lloyd Harris. I don't think Lloyd Harris is a grass court player. Most Vasic Pospisil. Now, he might make you crazy. He might make you want to drink your lunch. But you know what? He's not a bad grass court player. Anybody else, Craig, before we let him go? Um, Not really for me. Um, you, You've probably 
brought up the main ones there. Um, Pospisil is probably going to be okay. I, I don't know. I didn't see Raonic in either of the draws, which was a bit of a surprise because he's usually one you want to back if you see him in a draw. Um, he might be out injured. Um, Joe Wilfred Songa, again, wasn't mentioned. Um, I think the grass probably suits how he plays. He's not in particularly good form, though. Uh, those kind of players who have done well in the grass previously, who are looking to come in and serve and volley, those are the guys you want to look for. Um, try and steer clear of the guys that want to run around a lot. I would do that for sure. I'll tell you what, we had a great run at the French Open. I don't have an opinion on the man. I think it's going to be a great day of tennis today. And, of course, the final is going to be amazing no matter who it is. For Craig Doyle, I'm Phil Nason. Thanks for listening to This Week in Tennis. This Week in Tennis.